The Equal Protection Clause is part of the first section of the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution. The clause, which took effect in 1868, provides nor shall any state, deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. It mandates that individuals in similar situations be treated equally by the law. A primary motivation for this clause was to validate the equality provisions contained in the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which guaranteed that all citizens would have the guaranteed right to equal protection by law. As a whole, the 14th Amendment marked a large shift in American constitutionalism, by applying substantially more constitutional restrictions against the states than had applied before the Civil War. The meaning of the Equal Protection Clause has been the subject of much debate, and inspired the well-known phrase equal justice under law. This clause was the basis for Brown v. Board of Education, 1954, the Supreme Court decision that helped to dismantle racial segregation. The clause has also been the basis for Obergefell v. Hodges which legalized same-sex marriages, along with many other decisions rejecting discrimination against, and bigotry towards, people belonging to various groups. While the Equal Protection Clause itself applies only to state and local governments, the Supreme Court held in Bowling v. Sharp, 1954, that the Due Process Clause of the Fifth Amendment nonetheless imposes various equal protection requirements on the federal government via reverse incorporation. Text. The Equal Protection Clause is located at the end of Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. All persons born or naturalized in the United States, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Background. Though equality under the law is an American legal tradition arguably dating to the Declaration of Independence, formal equality for many groups remained elusive. Before passage of the Reconstruction Amendments, which included the Equal Protection Clause, American law did not extend constitutional rights to black Americans. Black people were considered inferior to white Americans, and subject to chattel slavery in the slave states until the Emancipation Proclamation and the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Even black Americans that were not enslaved lacked many crucial legal protections. In the 1857 Dred Scott v. Sanford decision, the Supreme Court rejected abolitionism and determined black men, whether free or in bondage, had no legal rights under the U.S. Constitution at the time. Currently, a plurality of historians believe that this judicial decision set the United States on the path to the Civil War, which led to the ratifications of the Reconstruction Amendments. Before and during the Civil War, the Southern states prohibited speech of pro-Union citizens, anti-slavery advocates, and Northerners in general, since the Bill of Rights did not apply to the states during such times. During the Civil War, Many of the southern states stripped the state citizenship of many whites and banished them from their state, effectively seizing their property. Shortly after the Union victory in the American Civil War, the 13th Amendment was proposed by Congress and ratified by the states in 1865, abolishing slavery. Subsequently, many ex-Confederate states then adopted black codes following the war, with these laws severely restricting the rights of blacks to hold property, including real property, such as real estate, and many forms of personal property and to form legally enforceable contracts. Such codes also established harsher criminal consequences for blacks than for whites. Because of the inequality imposed by black codes, a Republican-controlled Congress enacted the Civil Rights Act of 1866. The act provided that all persons born in the United States were citizens, contrary to the Supreme Court's 1857 decision in Dred Scott v. Sanford, and required that citizens of every race and color, have full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings for the security of person and property 
as is enjoyed by white citizens. President Andrew Johnson vetoed the Civil Rights Act of 1866 amid concerns, among other things, that Congress did not have the constitutional authority to enact such a bill. Such doubts were one factor that led Congress to begin to draft and debate what would become the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Additionally, Congress wanted to protect white Unionists who were under personal and legal attack in the former Confederacy. The effort was led by the radical Republicans of both houses of Congress, including John Bingham, Charles Sumner, and Thaddeus Stevens. It was the most influential of these men, John Bingham, who was the principal author and drafter of the Equal Protection Clause. The southern states were opposed to the Civil Rights Act, but in 1865 Congress, exercising its power under Article 1, Section 5, Clause 1 of the Constitution, to be the judge of the, qualifications of its own members, had excluded southerners from Congress, declaring that their states, having rebelled against the Union, could therefore not elect members to Congress. It was this fact, the fact that the 14th Amendment was enacted by a rump Congress, that permitted the passage of the 14th Amendment by Congress and subsequently proposed to the states. The ratification of the amendment by the former Confederate states was imposed as a condition of their acceptance back into the Union. Ratification. With the return to originalist interpretations of the Constitution, many wonder what was intended by the framers of the Reconstruction Amendments at the time of their ratification. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery but to what extent it protected other rights was unclear. After the 13th Amendment the South began to institute black codes which were restrictive laws seeking to keep black Americans in a position of inferiority. The 14th Amendment was ratified by nervous Republicans in response to the rise of black codes. This ratification was irregular in many ways. First, there were multiple states that rejected the 14th Amendment, but when their new governments were created due to Reconstruction, these new governments accepted the amendment. There were also two states, Ohio and New Jersey, that accepted the amendment and then later passed resolutions rescinding that acceptance. The nullification of the two states' acceptance was considered illegitimate and both Ohio and New Jersey were included in those counted as ratifying the amendment. Many historians have argued that the 14th Amendment was not originally intended to grant sweeping political and social rights to the citizens but instead to solidify the constitutionality of the 1866 Civil Rights Act. While it is widely agreed that this was a key reason for the ratification of the 14th Amendment, many historians adopt a much wider view. It is a popular interpretation that the 14th Amendment was always meant to ensure equal rights for all those in the United States. This argument was used by Charles Sumner when he used the 14th Amendment as the basis for his arguments to expand the protections afforded to black Americans. Although the Equal Protection Clause is one of the most cited ideas in legal theory, it received little attention during the ratification of the 14th Amendment. Instead the key tenet of the 14th Amendment at the time of its ratification was the Privileges or Immunities Clause. This clause sought to protect the privileges and immunities of all citizens which now included black men. The scope of this clause was substantially narrowed following the slaughterhouse cases in which it was determined that a citizen's privileges and immunities were only ensured at the federal level and that it was government overreach to impose this standard on the states. Even in this halting decision the court still acknowledged the context in which the amendment was passed, stating that knowing the evils and injustice the 14th Amendment was meant to combat is key in our legal understanding of its implications and purpose. With the abridgment of the Privileges or Immunities Clause, legal arguments aimed at protecting black Americans' rights became more complex and that is when the Equal Protection Clause started to gain attention for the arguments it could enhance. During the debate in Congress, more than one version of the clause was considered. Here is the first version, the Congress shall have power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper to secure, to all persons in the several states equal protection in the rights of life, liberty, and property, Bingham said about this version 
it confers upon Congress power to see to it that the protection given by the laws of the state shall be equal in respect to life and liberty and property to all persons. The main opponent of the first version was Congressman Robert S. Hale of New York, despite Bingham's public assurances that under no possible interpretation can it ever be made to operate in the state of New York while she occupies her present proud position. Hale ended up voting for the final version, however. When Senator Jacob Howard introduced that final version, he said. It prohibits the hanging of a black man for a crime for which the white man is not to be hanged. It protects the black man and his fundamental rights as a citizen with the same shield which it throws over the white man. Ought not the time to be now passed when one measure of justice is to be meted out to a member of one caste while another and a different measure is meted out to the member of another caste, both castes being alike citizens of the United States, both bound to obey the same laws, to sustain the burdens of the same government, and both equally responsible to justice and to God for the deeds done in the body? The 39th United States Congress proposed the 14th Amendment on June 13, 1866. A difference between the initial and final versions of the clause was that the final version spoke not just of equal protection but of the equal protection of the laws. John Bingham said in January 1867, No state may deny to any person the equal protection of the laws, including all the limitations for personal protection of every article and section of the Constitution. By July 9, 1868, three-fourths of the states, 28 of 37, ratified the amendment, and that is when the Equal Protection Clause became law. Early History Following Ratification Bingham said in a speech on March 31, 1871 that the clause meant no state could deny anyone the equal protection of the Constitution of the United States, or any of the rights which it guarantees to all men, nor deny to anyone any right secured to him either by the laws and treaties of the United States or of such state. At that time, the meaning of equality varied from one state to another. Four of the original 13 states never passed any laws barring interracial marriage, and the other states were divided on the issue in the Reconstruction era. In 1872, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that the state's ban on mixed-race marriage violated the cardinal principle of the 1866 Civil Rights Act and of the Equal Protection Clause. Almost a hundred years would pass before the U.S. Supreme Court followed that Alabama case, Burns v. State, in the case of Loving v. Virginia. In Burns, the Alabama Supreme Court said, Marriage is a civil contract, and in that character alone is dealt with by the municipal law. The same right to make a contract as is enjoyed by white citizens, means the right to make any contract which a white citizen may make. The law intended to destroy the distinctions of race and color in respect to the rights secured by it. As for public schooling, no states during this era of Reconstruction actually required separate schools for blacks. However, some states, for example, New York, gave local districts discretion to set up schools that were deemed separate but equal. In contrast, Iowa and Massachusetts flatly prohibited segregated schools ever since the 1850s. Likewise, some states were more favorable to women's legal status than others. New York, for example, had been giving women full property, parental, and widow's rights since 1860, but not the right to vote. No state or territory allowed women's suffrage when the Equal Protection Clause took effect in 1868. In contrast, at that time African-American men had full voting rights in five states. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.